Our scripture reading today comes Philemon 3 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going to start off with a question. Do you guys know what this is? It's an envelope. Actually, it's a letter. Isn't that weird? Remember, we used to, and this is like texting, when we used to try to talk to each other far away. Uh, for a long time, actually, human beings have used letters to communicate. All the way back to the New Testament people era, people wrote letters to one another, and it would take weeks for uh, that communication to get where it was intended to go. And honestly, in many, many ways, one of the major innovations of the early Christian movement in the New Testament was to build a network of people all over the empire and communicate through letters. The apostles John and Jude and James and Peter and whoever wrote Hebrews, uh, and especially the apostle Paul wrote countless letters to Christians and churches from Jerusalem to Rome and perhaps even beyond to strengthen the faith, to, to encourage, to teach, and to preach, and to maintain relationships, and to fundraise, and like letters like this one, change the world. Now we use letters to advertise lawn care, but that's important too, I guess. So anyway, we're, <laughs> we're in a series called Forgotten Family. So we're looking at stories and people in the Bible that we often forget or we don't really know. And uh, today we come to this short little letter in your Bible, this book. It's only 25 verses long, uh, and it's written by the Apostle Paul. So it's a really short letter. It's also a very personal letter, which is unusual. It's, it's written to one specific person whose name was, you guessed it, Philemon. It's where the letter gets its name. So it's an unusual letter in the New Testament. It's also a vitally important letter in the New Testament. And I'm going to talk about why in just a minute. But, but the issue at hand that, that actually is the reason for this letter being written is not necessarily an easy one to talk about. But again, it's a very important one. So this letter is really about the relationship between three people. An apostle, a slave, and a master. That's what this letter is about. And we could tell the story of this letter from any of those perspectives. We could tell it from the apostle Paul. We could tell it from the vantage point of Onesimus, who is the slave uh, but today we're going we're gonna to look at this like we're Philemon, the recipient of this letter. So this morning, that's what I want us to do. I want us to read this letter like we are him. I want us to put his Roman sandals on 2,000 years ago and feel what it would be like to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to be read aloud 
in front of your church, even though it's written just to you. And that should raise your blood pressure just a little bit. It's a scary thing. So, okay, we're going we're gonna to do this imaginative work. So imagine you're Philemon. Okay, you are a Christian. And you are a part of a local house church among many local house churches, several, meeting in the uh, city of Colossae in the Roman Empire. Okay? And you love Jesus. You really do. So much so, in fact, that you actually helped a guy named Epaphras uh, to start the church in Colossae. You were like on his core team to spread the gospel in the first place. And years ago, you and Epaphras and maybe a few other people uh, from your town, you guys went to the big city. You went to Ephesus to hear this preacher that everybody was talking about. So you heard about this guy named Paul, and he's a Jew, but he was preaching all throughout Gentile country, okay, to your people about this Jesus and saying he rose from the dead. And you, you, you're like, we have to go hear this guy. And so you and Epaphras and a few others, you go to Ephesus and you hear Paul preach. And like lots of people at the time, even as a Gentile, you give your life to Jesus. You, you believe this Jesus is, is Israel's Messiah. He's Lord of the universe. He's raised from the dead. He is my Savior. You give your life to him. And you return home with your friends and you start sharing that news with anybody and everybody who will listen to you. Your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, everybody. And now God is doing something amazing in your city. Amazing. This movement is, is growing beyond just the, the few handful that it was at the beginning. And yes, you have hardships, right? There's, there's false teachers running around trying to confuse you. And there's just the beginnings of persecution uh, for your belief in Jesus, which is this really new religion, and the people don't know how to, how to take it. But God is up to something, and everything is changing, and it's so exciting. You've never seen anything like this in your life. So you're, so you're part of this Colossian church, perhaps even a leader there, someone that is looked up to and whose opinion matters. <laughs> and you're super excited, like I said. But a few months ago, you endured a financial hardship, okay? You and your family, your slave Onesimus ran away. That's not terribly unusual at the time, but it's a, it's a financial hit. You relied on him because other than room and board, uh, uh, he, he worked for you for no compensation. Likely his family, Onesimus's family, fell into some kind of debt. And in order to pay it off, he uh, works for you until it's paid. And now that he's gone, you're just out that money. You're not going to get that labor in return. You, you can't get it back. Okay, quick side note here. I know that like listening, like casually talking about slavery from a 21st century um, Western perspective is, is jarring for, and, and, and for good reason. <laughs> it's jarring. Um, and I, so I want to tread lightly here uh, because there, there is no justifying this ancient practice of slavery. And we're going to talk more about that. But to, to get ourselves into the world of this letter and to let it have its intended impact, we have to start this conversation as Philemon, okay? So indentured servitude like this was simply an unquestioned economic practice at the time. This was how you settled debt primarily. It was not a race-based system or an ethnicity-based system as it was in the United States chattel slavery. Uh, it was a way to work off debt that could not otherwise be repaid. So there are differences between 
what we conceive as Americans about slavery and what an ancient reader would have conceived about the situation. But I don't want to sugarcoat this, okay? Slaves were still the property of their owners in the ancient world. They had very few rights, pure and simple. And that's just how things worked in the Roman Empire. This is how it worked. So, okay, Philemon, you're upset that this has happened, but you're, you're working through it, and, you're, and you're, if, you, if you owned a slave in the first place, you're probably wealthy enough to take that hit and, and be okay. Uh, so one day, you're in your church. It's a little house church, and uh, you and your wife, uh, Appia, are there. That's likely who she's mentioned in the letter. That's likely who she is, your wife. And you're in the home of Archippus, who hosts the church. He's got the best house. So everybody wants to meet there. So everybody's there. You're ready to worship. You're ready to, to gather together. And suddenly there's a knock. There's a knock on the door. And so one of you, the church members gets up and they slowly go to the door because you've got to be careful about who sees you, who sees you together, who's asking questions about what you're doing. So you, you're in the living room or whatever and, and this person goes to the front door and they open the door and you hear surprise and you hear someone come in. And uh, you look up. And it's this guy named Tychicus, and he has just come from Ephesus, okay, or Rome. We aren't really sure where Paul is imprisoned at this point. Could, could be either city. Um, Ephesus was closer. But this uh, Tychicus returns, and he's seen Paul in prison. It's like, wow, that's amazing. And he has a letter in his hand uh, to all the Colossian house churches so that they can, they can read it. We know it today as the letter to the Colossians. Um, and uh, you're excited now because that means the sermon's going to be good today. You're going to have uh, you're going to have somebody there who knows what they're talking about. Uh, that doesn't always probably happen. Uh, <laughs> but then you see someone behind Tychicus enter the, the house, and it, th- this person takes your breath away because it's it's Onesimus. It is your it is the runaway slave, and he walks straight up to you in front of everybody, and he hands you a letter like this. And you take it, and, you know, how are you feeling in that moment? You know, are you shocked? Are you, are you furious? Are you angry? All of the above? I don't know. But you look down at the envelope, and you see it says, To Philemon from Paul. So this letter's for you, from the Apostle Paul. So you're, you're connecting the dots here. Apparently Onesimus ran away and found Paul the Apostle in prison. And you have no idea why. That happened, but here you are. This is the situation in which you find yourself. And you've never gotten a letter from Paul, and you look up at the church, and everybody's staring at you because they know the situation, and they want to see how you're going to respond. And so you take a deep breath (laughs) to calm yourself, and you, you open the letter, and you start to read it. You start to read it out loud. Here's how it starts. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So Paul was a prisoner at this time. Philemon would not have known this necessarily, but Paul, this is the only time Paul ever introduces himself as a prisoner in, in a letter in the New Testament. So he's doing something here. He's, he's, he's communicating something in particular here um, that we'll get to later. So a, a prisoner for Jesus Christ. And Timothy, our brother, and you go, oh yeah, I, I remember Timothy. He was there in Ephesus. To Philemon, our beloved worker, and Apphia, our sister. Look, honey, he's talking about you. And Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So, right, you're reading this to the house church. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God always when I remember you. Okay, unlike most yous in the New Testament, which are plural, y'all, this is singular. You, Philemon, you. I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And you're kind of like, wow, he knows about me? He knows about some of the work I've done? That's, that's amazing. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. It's like, oh, Paul, stop. It was nothing, really. Anybody would have done it. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Well, that was a tonal shift. (laughs) Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, probably better translated an elder there, like a leader. And now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. He mentions that again. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So now you're going, wait a minute. Paul only says stuff like that about people who have become Christians through his ministry. Right? I become their father in the faith. And you're going, wait a minute. Okay. Sounds like Onesimus maybe has become a Christian. Formerly, he was useless to you, you know, because he wasn't there is the idea. But now he's indeed useful This is wordplay, okay? Uh, Onesimus' name means useful. He is useful to you and to me. What did he do for Paul? I don't know. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. It's like, Paul really loves this kid. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Okay, what Paul's doing here, he's saying, "He he was so helpful to me. And I know you didn't send him here, Philemon, but I credited that to you. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be from compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you. Remember that phrase. We're going to come back to that. For a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant. Hold up. (laughs) But more than a bondservant as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord now. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Okay? Like, receive him like an apostle? Receive him like a leader? Like a teacher? Like a Roman citizen? A free man? Right? Remember, this is a hospitality culture. If Paul showed up at this church, they would have broke the bank to welcome him. If he has wronged you at all, verse 18, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Whatever back pay he owes you, I will pay for being gone. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. He's using a secretary, Paul is, to dictate, but he grabs the pen. He says, this is me, Paul. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self, which is a cheap shot, but it's true. Right? You are not a Christian without Paul. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience. This is where you you gulp. 
I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Then you double gulp. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Hint, hint, Philemon, I'm, I'm going to be there soon to check up on how this all goes. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. That's your pastor, Epaphras. He's in prison too. As do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and my fellow workers, Paul's saying, who all, by the way, agree with what I'm telling you to do with Onesimus, because they read this too, their name's on it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And you <laughs> so you read that out loud, and you fold it up, and you, <laughs> you realize, okay, uh, Paul's gloves are off. Um, in the most loving way possible, he is really playing hardball with you because it's abundantly clear that he loves you and he went above and beyond to affirm you and your leadership and everything you've done. And he probably doesn't know you that well. I mean, honestly, uh, he also loves Onesimus. That is also clear. He calls him his son, his heart, his fellow Christian, his uh, faithful partner in the gospel in Ephesus or Rome, wherever Paul is. And with all that in mind, Paul is asking you to do the unthinkable in your culture, in your time and place, is to receive Onesimus, the slave, as a brother, as if he were Paul himself. That's what he's asking you to do. This is a world-shattering statement for you. Remember, I mean, Roman society was built on class distinction. And it was built on indentured servitude. I mean, owning people as property, as, as, as hard for it is, as it is for us to imagine this, was as common as having a mortgage in the ancient world. Like, something like 90%, they estimate, of the city of Rome was in some kind of indentured servitude at this time. Okay? That's the world into which Paul is speaking this command to Philemon. And to make it even more shocking, Paul, if you really pay attention, is suddenly playing the role of Christ before you. And he's not fooling you. You see it. You see what he's doing. He says, um, I love you both. Both of you. Deeply. Despite your conflict with each other. So whatever offense there is between you, whatever uh, financial offense, relational offense, charge it to me. Uh, impute it to me. And then... Have koinonia, that's the word he used, have fellowship, partnership together in Christ. Okay. That's, if you're paying attention, that's literally the, the gospel, right? How do Jews and Gentiles become one new family? Well, Jesus pays for the offense between the two. There's a whole letter called Ephesians about that. And, and you're Philemon, and you've heard that sermon before. So you see what Paul's doing. He's doing it now to you. So all of this is bouncing around your mind and suddenly though, I don't know if you've ever had this experience and this is kind of my sanctified imagination, but I imagine in the midst of, of roiling emotion for Philemon that there's a moment of calm, that his, his heart rate slows, his anxiety dissipates and time seems to stand still and he realizes that he's in a conversation with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is asking him three loving gentle but very difficult questions. 
And here's the first one, I think, right? Philemon, why did Onesimus need to run away to hear about Jesus? Remember, here you are. You are a fellow worker with Paul the Apostle. You're a church planter. You've given financially, (laughs) uh, sacrificially of your own life to advance the kingdom of Jesus, and your own household didn't know the good news. You had people living with you that you never thought to share the good news of Jesus with. And we know that from other letters that many early Christians were slaves. They're, they're addressed in the New Testament explicitly. So that's not a new idea. But you, Philemon, you didn't consider that maybe because you were afraid to consider it. Maybe because that's really messy for you. Because if Onesimus accepted the good news, now what happens? Now who are we? Now how do we relate together? That moral dilemma, by the way, would echo through history for Christian slave owners. So in his excellent book, if you haven't read it, Jamar Tisby, The Color of Compromise, he points out that the Virginia General Assembly during the colonial era of the United States, um, that slave owners did not want to share the gospel because they didn't want to have to free their slaves. And the English common law at that time from which they came, the law said if, if, you're, if you have a slave who becomes a Christian, you have to free them or you have to start paying them. And they didn't want to do that. But they had missionaries on their backs saying, you, gotta, you can't not tell them about Jesus. And so what they did is they wrote a law specifically for their commonwealth that baptism would not free you if you were a slave. And they actually, we actually have the liturgy that was just for slaves that said, even though it saved my soul, it doesn't change my earthly lot when they would say that at their baptism. Okay, so Philemon. Why did Onesimus have to run away to hear about Jesus? In fact, can you now even say that he ran away at all? Did he escape to find Paul because he heard you talk about him in order to hear about Jesus? I mean, think about it. Why else would Onesimus go find Paul in the first place? Remember, Paul isn't just wandering around Rome or Ephesus, just like he's in prison. (laughs) You got to go looking for him if you want to find him. Onesimus found him. There's no way he just ran into Paul, who happens to be in prison, and then just happens to become a Christian. You begin to realize, Philemon, that Onesimus escaped from you to find Jesus. And Philemon, it's worse than that, because that little phrase Paul used, I told you to remember, verse 15, Paul says, perhaps that is why he was parted from you. That's a passive voice. And in the Bible, generally, when you hear a passive voice, it's called the divine passive. It means God did the parting. He was parted from you. The implication is by God. That's what Paul's saying. Is he saying Onesimus had a plan to find Jesus and that Jesus was in that plan with him, and that Jesus had to work around you to get it done. Ouch. That was question one. (laughs) 
Question two. Philemon, if what Paul is saying is true, how can you keep Onesimus as a slave? Now, when this question hits your mind, you're Philemon again, right? You go, hold on, wait a minute, slow down. And you say, but God, Onesimus broke the law. He broke the law, which is true. He broke Roman law. And you, under the Roman system, would have every right to punish him, perhaps even severely, for doing that. There was, as I said, very little legal protection for slaves under Roman law. But then again, the Holy Spirit says, was Jesus also a criminal under Roman law? Was he executed by the Roman legal system? And then you remember, wait a minute, uh, Paul keeps saying he's a prisoner? (laughs) Is he not under arrest for breaking Roman law? At least as far as the Romans understood it? Well, yeah. So Philemon, you can appeal the Roman law if you want, but that's not what Paul's asking you to do. Paul is not saying you need, he's not appealing to secular thought at the de- for the time. He is not appealing to what is permissible under the law. He's appealing to Christ and the radical new social order that he creates. Koinonia, this is his word, fellowship, equality, love, mutual partnership in gospel mission. I mean, if you're Philemon, you see what Paul's doing here. Paul's not connecting the dots, but he is pointing each one out. Paul is being a little subtle, but but he's doing everything but come out and say to you, Philemon, you must release Onesimus as an implication of the gospel. In fact, he hinted earlier, Paul did, that he could command you to do something, but that he won't. What could that something be? Because he trusts that you will do what is right, and that you'll do even more than he's asking you to do. And that, oh, by the way, Paul says, I almost kept Onesimus here with me. I almost kept him. Because he's that good of an evangelist. He's that good of a minister. And I want him with me. But I sent him back to you so that you could do the right thing. Philemon, do you want me to have a good evangelist with me? Is that good for Jesus? Do you want to be a part of that? You know what to do. Last question for you, Philemon. What are you going to do? It's the most important one. So you snap back to reality, and again, everybody's staring at you, and it's like, now what? What are you going to do? We actually don't know the answers to that question for certain. There's no other letter or correspondence that we have. But a few things give me hope. Okay, first... The teachings of Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament abolished slavery in the Western world. It took way too long, but it did. Even Paul, even if Paul could have hardly imagined in his day that slavery would be abolished in the Roman Empire, later church fathers like Gregory of Nyssa openly did, openly preached about the evils of slavery. And one of his many sermons, this was a generation after Paul. In one of his many sermons, Gregory uh, said this to, to the slave owners who were a part of his congregation. <laughs> he says, what did you find in existence worth as much as this human nature? What price did you put on rationality? How many obols, this is money, did you reckon the equivalent of the likeness of God? How many staters, money, 
did you get for selling the being shaped by God? Wow. I'm sure that went over like a lead balloon that day at church. And abolitionists throughout the ages have pointed to letters like this one and others to prove the absolute incompatibility of the gospel of Jesus and slavery. Incompatible. Cannot work together. The message, in other words, did get through eventually, even if it didn't get through to Philemon right away, but I think it did. I think it did. I think it changed him. And here's why. Here's why. We have this letter. Why? Who kept this letter? (laughs) Why would anybody keep the letter of Philemon? Copy after copy after copy. Unless it was received and obeyed as it was intended. I I can't think of any reason. Paul wrote dozens, if not hundreds, of letters while he was alive. Some of them were to churches. Many of them were to individuals. Most of those letters we will never, ever, ever see. Okay? They're gone. We'll never see them. Why was this one kept? And who kept it? Was it Philemon? Who kept it as a treasured reminder of his conversion, not only to Jesus, but to Jesus' kingdom vision where there is no Jew or Greek, where there is no male or female, where there is no slave or free. Was it Onesimus as a reminder that his freedom in Jesus also meant his freedom from slavery? We cannot say for sure, okay, but there's a really interesting letter written by a church father named Ignatius. He wrote it to the Ephesian churches in about 100 AD, okay? So if Philemon is written 50, 60 AD, about 40 years before Ignatius, and if you assume Onesimus is a young man, which is likely when this all happens, okay, keep that in mind. Here's what Ignatius says to the churches in Ephesus. I received, therefore, your whole multitude in the name of God through Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love and your bishop in the flesh, whom I pray you by Jesus Christ to love, And that you would all seek to be like him. And blessed be he who has granted unto you being worthy to obtain such an excellent bishop. And we don't know if this is the same Onesimus, but it would make a lot of sense. Especially if Onesimus was released and returned to Ephesus and trained under Paul himself. That guy would be qualified, I think, to be a bishop. But here's the deal, okay, however we want to reconstruct this. Paul, Philemon, Onesimus probably had no idea that this little letter, this little conversation, this little interpersonal conflict had the power to change Rome. They didn't know, but God, God did. God knew the power hidden here. Now, if that's true, if God took this and the threads that came out of it and changed the western world which it did imagine what structural injustice what evil what issue today god has in his crosshairs and all he needs from us is is a small act of grace a small obedience a needed reconciliation to upend the world again 
Because this grace thing that, that grabbed Philemon and it grabbed Onesimus, this grace thing, it changes everything. Everything. It changed Philemon, it changed Onesimus, it changed this little house church in the backyard 2,000 years ago. It changed Rome, it changed Britain, it changed the United States, it upended slavery, perhaps the most ancient and oppressive institution the world has ever known. It's changing the sex slave trade around the world, it's upending the Hindu caste system, it's still moving, it's still going. It's still changing. Notice with me, not with violence, not with hatred, not with coercion, but with love, with sacrificial love. The kind of love Paul is asking of Philemon here. He's saying, you know what? You need to take your rights and you need to use them to love someone else. You need to deny what you're due for the sake of someone else. That love, that koinonia, that's what changes the world. In other words, a body broken and blood shed, this is Jesus' strategy. This is his agenda. Right? Sacrifice. So what I want us to do before I pray is we're going to take communion. And you can take your time here. Okay? You don't need to grab it. You don't need to... Sometimes y'all get anxious when I say the word communion. It's okay. Um, we're going to take this in a minute when you're ready, okay? Two things. One, yes, this is a reminder that you're forgiven. So whatever you came here with, okay, if you are in Christ, whatever you came here with, this is his promise to you that his covenant is bigger than any sin you bring to the relationship. You have his forgiveness. You have his love. But second, this is a reminder to you as well that this, this is your modus operandi. This is your strategy. This sacrifice is a symbol to you that this is how you are to love the world, to love your Christian brothers and sisters, to love your neighbor. Okay. So when you're ready, please take and eat. Let me pray for us. Father, for this little letter <laughs> that sends shockwaves throughout history, we are so grateful. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper with you, may, it, may this letter, may your word have its effect on us, your people. We pray this in Jesus' name.